What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. It's Monday night. And I have one of my favorite NFL Twitter people, one of uh, the guys that I check his timeline every day to see what he's saying, because his timeline is always interesting on Twitter.com. It's Benjamin Albright. Ben, good evening. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm good, man. You you fight the good fight. You're <laughs> you're back on it every day. And I appreciate guys like you because I, I can't, I don't think I could do it. I uh, I don't know if I fight the good fight, but I fight the fight, and that's uh, that may be worse. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're you're active. You're on Twitter. You're on Twitter a lot. You you break news. Like you're just um, you're in you're in the minutia, and I just I don't know if I'll ever be able to do something like that. Uh well, I mean, it's you know, I try to uh, I guess I try to do my best to be interactive. I feel like if. Uh, uh, you know, if you're going to do this, you know, the best the thing about doing this is that you're going to have to be interactive. You know, people have questions and, you know, what are you doing if you're not out there interacting with those people who have questions? That's the whole point of getting into this to begin with, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I just, the Twitter medium, I've gone back and forth on this. It's just, do you do you feel like what I feel whenever I send off a tweet where you just almost immediately want to delete it and you're like uh it's just uh do i need to tweet this out in the world does the world need to know this do i have to unleash this take on twitter i don't like seeing any of my like non-promoted or self-promotion tweets ever it always gives me like it makes me squirm and i'm just like ugh, gross but i i don't know maybe i'm alone there well self-promotion is a part of you know doing what you do i mean um the, the the premise that we have something that's important to say or needs to be said or uh, that somebody needs to hear what we have to say is inherently arrogant to begin with. So the idea that self-promotion or promoting that idea, which is the underlying you know uh, idea behind uh, putting stuff like this out there to begin with, um, the idea that self-promotion would be gross or bad is inherently opposite to what um, you know, the premise of having the stuff to begin with is. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but you know, it's, it's our world. It is weird to just know, I was talking to somebody about this uh, a couple of days ago, but it, it's kind of, I don't know if you feel like this, but 
we're now that we're in this world and we're just kind of entrenched in this weird sphere are we stuck is there a, like do you ever just think about like social media is just going to be a part of our lives forever because we just need these mediums um to keep doing what we want to do that it's kind of a scary thought to just know that you you will always need stuff like this to keep it going um you know i, I don't know i think that um i think that newspaper writers of old used to think that that was what was entrenched you know, and that was the Communication improves, and you know that now it's improved and more involved as it always does. Um, you know, I think that social media is still in its infancy, so I think that you know we do take the good with the bad. Uh, there are moments where uh, it can be a great tool, and there are moments where you're just tired of it and want to turn it off forever. So, and I've been both sides of that coin for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk some football because you are one of my favorite football guys and I want to pick your brand on some offseason stuff. Um, right now, it's, there's still a lot of work to be done. I believe the Colts still have $90 billion in cap room, so we'll have to see what they end up doing. But um, who is winning free agency right now for you? Who has stood out to you where you're like, ooh, I, I really like what they what they have done? Because that flipped, right, the last couple of years where it used to be where teams were dumb for splurging in free agency and then the Jaguars splurge and then it's this huge thing where it changes the complete trajectory of their team and it turns out free agency is actually good um it seems like we go back and forth on this depending on what happens and just like the dream team stuff feels like forever ago and I uh I don't know I think it, it's somewhere in the middle probably but um who right now for you stands out as like I yeah I, I like this I like where I like what they're doing well, you know, I think there's several teams that, that kind of fit that parameter. Um, you know, I think that if you're going to go out and invest in free agency, it's just two things. You know, so that one, um, that you either have a lot of holes to fill, uh, thus your need to go out of free agency, or you're trying to push all in to, to move ahead for a, you know, for a Super Bowl run. Uh, ideally, a situation where you're spending largely in free agency would, would be a precursor of both. But I think we all know that if you're you know buying heavily in free agency, that generally means you don't have a roster that was uh, ready to compete before you did that. So, um, you know, I guess it depends. Uh, if, if you're spending a lot of dollars, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, you can look at uh, Cleveland. Their team seems to spend a lot of money. Uh, they were a decent team last year. They're going to be a lot better this coming season. Uh, so I think that, you know, if you look, you probably got to put them at the top of the board. The one thing I didn't like them doing was trading away Kevin Zeitler. Um, I felt like mm-hmm. that was a huge mistake. Uh, they had one of the best interior lines at football the last two years. Zeitler was a big part of that. Um, you know, I think moving on from him is uh, an attempt to get Austin Corbett in there to get him some more play time. But, um, you know, I was just concerned that Baker going into his second year, you know, are you sure that weakening the offensive line is the direction to go? So uh, ultimately they come away with a lot of great players in Cleveland. So I think everybody's probably going to peg them number one as a winner in free agency. Interesting. See, I think they still, I don't know, because it seems like it's hard to put them as a winner of free agency. And also they traded for OBJ and like a lot of their stuff is through trades and all the draft capital that they had from Sashi Brown. But like, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I would peg them as like a free agency winner because they're a draft winner. Like Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, Baker Mayfield. You go up and down the list. Like the reason that I think we're all really high on the Browns right now is just um, what they've done in the draft the last couple of years. But 
Um, well, I mean, in this free agent period, they acquired Olivier Vernon. Uh, yeah. They added, uh, you know, obviously they added uh, OBJ. I think they, you know, knows that. So I think that, you know, like I said, in terms of big pieces, uh, that seems to be, you know, kind of a, a, a predicate. Now, whether they have acquired them by trade or whatever, I, I assume you meant the free agent period in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it, it's kind of, it, it's it's murky to say the least. It's like, how do most people evaluate free agency? Does that include trades and everything? I, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess you probably should include everything. Um, so I guess that's fair. Um, I, I don't know. It, it should be interesting. I mean, it's, it's weird that we're already here where the Browns are now the favorites in the AFC North. This happened very fast. I think we, um, we expected it based on, uh, we, we expected it at some point um, for them to keep moving in this direction with Baker and that core. But um, the, the Steelers just imploding, the Ravens still having some question marks um, with Lamar Jackson, and then the Bengals just having the most, I think, irrelevant offseason of anyone. I just it they they're paying bad offensive linemen and it's Andy Dalton, I guess, is gonna be back and they couldn't get anybody to be their DC forever. Like it it's a it's a very sad state of affairs in Cincinnati, I feel like. But um yeah, it, it's amazing that we're here. Who do you think uh, right now that you've monitored is losing? agency who have you just been like what the hell are you doing um you know i don't know if i would say what the hell are they doing but baltimore certainly seems to have lost a lot of ground i know some of those players were were defensively were interested in leaving uh, and migrating to a team with a better offense they were concerned they weren't going to be able to move the ball without joe flacco there and uh so i think that um, there's there's definitely some concerns there. So I think that Baltimore has to be on that list. You've already mentioned Cincinnati. That's kind of a head scratcher, um, you know, in terms of what are you doing? Um, you know, Kansas City's let a lot of talent migrate, uh, and they're switching defensive styles. So that's, you know, that's kind of interesting to, to kind of keep an eye on as they prepare for, you know, Pat Mahomes going into year three, year two as a starter. But, um, you know, you've probably only got this year, next year in terms of his cheap contract, and you're going to have to fifth year option him and then, you know, offer an all world deal. So, you know, Kansas City's window is shrinking and hemorrhaging defensive talent on a unit that was the Achilles heel of that team doesn't really seem to me to be uh, the way to go. Yeah. Um, Kansas City, there's there's a lot of question marks, especially on that defense. But the Baltimore stuff is fascinating, too, because, I mean, it's hard to rip them when they ended up with Earl Thomas so far. And um, they're, I don't love their receiving core right now. I don't love that they're not seeming to surround Lamar with a whole lot right now. We'll have to see what happens. I think it's going to be a very tight and heavy group where they have Mark Andrews still. They have Hayden Hurst. They have guys, uh, Nick Boyle. Like, they're going to... I think just run the ball down people's throats and just rarely air it out and just go to Willie Sneed whenever they need to big time. But um, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of a little concerned what they're doing with the, that offense. But um, when was the last time you remember like the Ravens just not having a linebacker that you knew off the top of your head? Like Chris Board, Patrick Onuwasar, uh, who I don't even know that is, is Slater right now, started wide linebacker or weak side linebacker. And then Matt Jedden. Like it's, it's weird, right? Like this never happens, but I love their secondary, but it's just weird that the Ravens have this kind of um for like just invisible linebacking core because it's just been like a staple of me just always kind of having idea of where they are and Terrell Suggs just being gone is is weird. 
Yeah, I think Colin Sewer's going to be uh, going to be. I mean, he's a pretty good linebacker. Saw him play quite a bit last year. Juden's a great pass rusher. Um, the other side's really kind of concerning, but but otherwise, you know, I mean, it certainly is a revamped team from what Ozzie Newsom ran. And then on the offensive side of the ball, the tight ends and stuff. You know, are they going to run five personnel out there or something? Um, I wouldn't roll it out. Know, <laughs> it's just uh, it's just an interesting. Thing. Obviously, they're trying to go two tight end sets. They want to go heavy um, because that's going to force defenses to go heavy. And then what you do at that point is you take advantage of Lamar's athleticism, being able to get outside on those heavier uh, heavier looks. So they're, they're going to want to be a power run team. And you know, I just it, a lot of it hinges on Lamar's development as a quarterback. And I'll tell you, some of those defensive players left because they did not believe in his ability to do that. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm rooting for him because ultimately Lamar is fun. And he is if he is good, the NFL is better. Because if he's running around doing crazy stuff, it's like the Mahomes factor. Different guys, obviously, but there is just nothing is tantalizing in sports, I don't think, than a just ridiculously fun quarterback. Like when a quarterback is just on and when Lamar is on, when Mahomes is on, it's just it, you can't look away. Yeah, uh, and I think that that's good. I, you know, I, I'm always rooting for everybody. I don't root against anybody, but you know, I think that um, it, it was interesting. Some private commentary, that, you know, that came out of all that was that uh, they were, you know, they, they went ahead and went other directions because they felt like that the defense was going to have to carry the team again, and that wasn't really replicable. But if you look at, you know, kind of modern history, um, there's there's some proof to that. You know, if the defense gets hot for a, for a year. Um, and, and, and plays well, they can carry a team, but generally they can't carry a team two or three years. You know, if you look Denver after their Super Bowl, the defense was still good, but the you know the offense fell off. Um, you know, you look at Seattle. Uh, you know, they're back and forth between offense and defense. Um, you know, you you could look in recent years at great defenses. The Jaguars, for instance. Uh, you know, the defense carried the team for two years; they just couldn't do it anymore. Defenses fall apart pretty quick. So, I, I think those Even guys the last year. Right, and I think those guys recognize that and recognize that you know uh, it was time to you know to kind of move on and cash in, and, and, and you kind of see some of that. The thing about that, though, which is so strange, is like a, of all teams for defenders to be like, uh, I don't know if this is for us, us having to carry this team. Like they want a Super Bowl at Trent Dilfer. They want like this is a, a franchise that is known for their defense, just doing it every single year. And like, what what have you enjoyed about? Joe Flacco being your quarterback for the last three to four years? Like, how is Lamar Jackson really going to be more of a thorn in your side than what Joe Flacco has been? I, I, I do wonder about that, where it's like, are you sure it can be worse? Are you sure you're going to be asked to do more than what you've had to do with Joe Flacco the last couple of years? Well, right. And, and, and Flacco, you know, for uh, you know, all the jokes and all that kind of stuff, in the end, he's certainly a serviceable starting quarterback in the league. Uh, Lamar didn't really look like one most of the time. Uh, there were some throws that were great, and you hope that that becomes more replicable as you know as he gets more reps. Uh, but there were he was stymied uh, several games late in the season, and the Chargers really kind of laid the blueprint out on how to stop him. So you know we'll see. Um, you know I think that having a young dynamic quarterback is always good for the league, but I don't know that. You know, I don't know that he's going to evolve into what he needs to evolve into anytime soon. Yeah, uh, but they have the right offensive coordinator for him, the Kaepernick coordinator with uh, Greg Roman now taking over. Yeah, like it, they're at least going about it the right way where they're going to give, if Lamar is going to succeed, 
like they're doing everything possible to surround him with the right personnel and the right group to help him succeed. Like, I think at the very least, if he fails, it's like, ugh. I mean, they did everything they possibly could um, to ensure your success. So um, that's always a good thing. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, is there a quarterback that you find or that he, you have found rather um, to be very interesting based on where their new team is um, going to be in 2019? Is there any quarterback movement where you're like, oh, you know what? I, I kind of like this. This this could be fun. I'm kind of interested to see Joe Flacco with Rick Scandarello. Um, mm. Scandarello uh, is, you know, is a Kubiak kind of disciple, and you know, he's got experience at the collegiate ranks. Uh, the only reason anybody in the NFL ever know ever knew who J.T. O'Sullivan was was because of him. Um, and so, you know, he's got some some kind of experience. I'm interested to see that combination. Uh, Kubiak, or excuse me, Flacco's best year came under Kubiak in Baltimore. So running, you know, a semblance of the same system with that, you know, zone run to boot action stuff, which is Flacco's strength, uh, will be interesting. Uh, kind of interested to see if he can elevate that offense and, you know, how those receivers or that young receiving core is going to perform in its second year. Uh, you know, you're adding, you got Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, and then you get Emmanuel Sanders back off injury. Uh, the Broncos, all you know, they got Philip Lindsay back there in the backfield. Um, all, all of a sudden, that offense kind of looks like it's got some players. So it'll be interesting to see if if Joe can kind of return to form. I was going to bring up the Broncos because I know this is a team you're very familiar with, and the OC hire was intriguing, especially because of the weird Kubiak stuff this off season that I'm sure you're pretty plugged in on, and like why that was all weird, and then like how Scangarello came to Denver anyway, and just um, the opportunity to be an OC and all this other stuff, and like you said, he has a very um, long list of collegiate stops um, on his coaching resume, but the thing about them, when I was going through their depth chart and I was thinking about this Broncos team going into next year, because we've kind of penciled in the Chiefs and the Chargers is like, they're still just going to be uh, the two elite teams in that division. Um, but there is some, it kind of reminds me of the NFC North last year, where we all just assumed that the Packers and the Vikings were going to be in the playoffs again. And that if Aaron Rodgers is healthy and um, Kirk Cousins being the guy and that defense is too good and all this, that and the other, and they would get back in. And that obviously wasn't the case. Um, and, the Bra- and the Bears snuck in. And I think they're kind of now going to try and do the Bears blueprint, just a little inverted where they have Vic Fangio. So they, like the Broncos having a top 10 defensive DVOA defense next year should probably be assumed. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, and then you have this offensive line coach that you brought in with Mike Munchak, who may be the most underrated hire of the offseason, I think, just because of how good that dude is and just prying him away from Pittsburgh is just such a huge thing for them. And because the Broncos just haven't had like... Uh, the, the offensive line has not been a position of strength for them in uh, the Mile High City. You, correct me if I'm wrong, but it has not been a staple for years now. Uh, good offensive line play. And, no, it really hasn't. It's it's been bad since Alex Gibbs left. So, right. um, you know, that's, that's, that, that's one of the things they're focusing on is, as an area of improvement. So you have that, and it it turns out like having a great offensive line when you have Philip Lindsay and guys like that, and Royce Freeman still like if you build that identity and you build this kind of team that way, you can afford to have kind of an average quarterback because suddenly everything else is really good. And if you have a great defense, an elite defense, and you have the pass rushers like you have your Cleo Mack and Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, and you have all these pieces that are just like oh, huh, this can turn around very quickly. Um, And I just, I don't know. I I feel like there is some real 
Broncos being the 2018 Bears potential? Am I crazy for thinking that? No, I would say there's you know there's some truth to that. A lot of that will depend on um, what they do in the draft. The Broncos' inside linebackers are not very athletic, and that's going to be a problem. They need some more depth at corner. Strong safety is still a question mark. Whether or not Will Craven, uh, Will Parks, or Stuart Craven is going to step up there, uh, they don't really have a true zero tech nose tackle. Um, and then they, you know, the right guard position is completely unsettled. They've got Elijah Wilkinson who played tackle last year, penciled in there as McGovern slides over to center. Um, so there's a lot of question marks, um, but you know the potential is there. There's there are good players. That defense was still good, even if Vance Joseph wasted it playing cover zero all the time. Um, so you know I think that uh, you know I, I think the Broncos could be okay. I think they're probably a 500 team, uh, depending on the draft. I think they're going to surprise some people. It'll be a spoiler at times. Then they're going to lose some boneheaded ones as well. How real is the Drew Locke and John Elway love connection? Um, they like him. You know, if uh, if he's there at ten, that would present an interesting choice for them. Uh, they also like Devin Bush, Devin White, so they're going to have to, you know, uh, kind of make some choices. I don't think Devin White's going to make it there. I think the worst kept secret of the draft is that he's going to go number five to Tampa. So, you know, I mm. think that, um, you know, when you look at 10, you got to say, okay, uh, do we like Locke? Do we love Locke? Is he here? Uh, and he may not be. Um, you know, everybody I've talked to says, you know, Miami, uh, Detroit, um, you know, even the Raiders all, all looking him over as well. So Washington could even get involved there too. Um, so, you know, Locke uh, and then Bush, you know, inside linebacker position in need. Bush is a guy you could probably trade back from 10 uh, and still pick up uh, a few picks later. So if a team like Miami wanted to come up and get their quarterback, you could swap spots, pick up a draft pick, and then still, um, you know, get your guy a few picks later. So, you know, I think that that's kind of the conundrum that they're looking at. Those are the, those are the positions the players are really looking at. They're going to bring some quarterbacks in for pre-draft visits, but um, it's a like. I don't know that it's. I don't know that it's a lock. No pun intended. <laughs> do you? But like, where, where do you think they ultimately go? Where if you? Where is your gut telling you they go at ten? Well, again, I think a lot of that depends on. You know, well, let's say there. White um, and Lock are available. White and Lock were available, then it would be White. Uh, okay. White's not going to be there, though. I, I'm just going to yeah. tell you, he's he's not. So uh, you know, it really is down to like Lock, Bush, and a trade back, and that just depends. You know, what's the offer mm. to come up, and do we value the the quarterback versus uh, the inside linebacker, and what we're going to do, and you know, those kinds of things. So I would suggest those are the three scenarios. I have a question. Do you have uh, Will Greer ahead of Drew Lock in your evaluations, oh, or no? I am I am significantly lower on Will Greer than a lot of people. Um, apparently. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm the Broncos already what's, had what, Case what, Keenum. What? What? Oh, you see, you see a lot of Case Keenum and Will Greer. Yeah, same offense, same guy, uh, same same age, same same pluses, same minuses. Keenum was more athletic than Greer, but um, you know, it's you know, overall they're they're pretty much the same guy. Greer throws ball a touch harder, but uh, that's about it. They're they're not really. Uh, Will Greer is, to me is wildly overrated. Um, I, I don't understand the, the fascination there, other than he put up some big numbers. You go back and. You know, on much of tape, he had great receivers. They had a talent advantage most of the time. And then whenever he played any semblance of a defense, he, he, he pretty much folded. Hmm. Why do you think Keenum struggled so much in Denver last year? I, I, I thought he'd be better. They weren't playing to his strengths. Uh, you know, Keenum is one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL off play action, and the Broncos barely used it. Um, you know, you need to be a zone run 
and uh, and set up the play action guy with Keenum if that's what you're going to be and have him play within himself. And uh, instead, they're trying to throw the ball up the seam on first down. And you know, just uh, Bill Musgrave's offense was not a fit for him at all. They tried to put a square peg in a round hole. And you know, when when they shifted the offense in the middle of the season uh, to do more of that, all of a sudden Philip Lindsay took off and was running gangbusters. And Case Keenum was had a six game run there where he was playing great. So, and then they went back to what they were doing before and lost a bunch of games. So. You know, it's just a it's just a question of arrogance uh, in, in the coaching, trying to make a guy fit your scheme rather than tailor your scheme to fit his strengths. Hmm. So let's talk about the other AFC West team that I think we're all very interested in, how they're going to perform prior to their move to Vegas, Oakland. Um, are you surprised at all in how they've operated this offseason? Not really. Um, you know, John Gruden and, and Mike Mayock wanted to be aggressive. They were um, initially hoping to put together kind of a, a triumvirate where they wind up with Antonio Brown uh, at receiver and they got him uh, and then Le'Veon Bell at running back and they were in the mix for him but ultimately didn't pull it off uh, and then you know draft Kyler Murray and really have kind of a you know a whole new offense I don't think they're going to wind up with Kyler Murray um, and I, I think that situation you know that, that original plan is kind of melted along the way but uh, that, that's kind of an interesting or exciting, I guess, kind of, you know, offense that we're trying to put together. Uh, you know, I think they're going to be all right. They've got a couple of good receivers. I think the real steal wasn't Brown. I think it's Tyrell Williams, um, mm. you know, get him. So uh, that's, you know, that vertical threat um, when they want to go vertical. He's, um, you know, he's he's a guy that's, that's really tough to cover and uh, one of the more unheralded uh, receivers out there. And I think he's going to put up big numbers. So he's not like the the Porter signing from years ago. Do you remember that dude? It wasn't Joey Porter. Who was Jer- the number Jerry Porter. Porter. There it was. Yes, he had the look of a superstar receiver. He was huge, mm. long, and everything, and just and he sucked. Um, but, I, that was my first thought with the Tyrell Williams stuff. Yeah, with with Porter, he was always a guy that you know in Oakland was matched up um, uh, against number three corners, and so when you had mm. Tim Brown and Jerry Rice in your one and twos, Porter tended to be open a lot because that third corner usually wasn't very good. I mean, again, this is back in the early 2000s when, you know, nickel wasn't base yet, um, you know, until around 2006. So it's kind of predated that. So when you went three wide, you had a talent advantage. And the problem was when Porter started going up against ones and twos, obviously he wasn't the same guy and, uh, you know, and he got shut down. So you're not worried about that with Tyrell Williams at all? No, Williams went up against ones and twos last year, and he, he was just fine. I, I think he's going to be a monster. I think people are underrating him. Okay, well, that's good news for the Raiders. Um, do you do you think if Jameis Winston had become available, that John Gruden would have done whatever it took to get him? No, I, I don't think he would have okay. been interested in him at all. Interesting. Why was that a thing? Why did we all assume that he loved Jameis Winston and that that was something that could possibly happen? Because uh, John lived down there in Tampa or something, I don't know. That's Was I that can it? tell you from personal experience that that's not that's that would not have been something that would have happened. John Gruden, a quarterback of John Gruden offense, doesn't need to be a big arm guy. He needs to be efficient with the football. The ideal quarterback for John Gruden is Alex Smith. Uh, you know, a guy who's efficient, distributes the football, lets the receivers make the plays after the you know after the catch and. Um, you know, it doesn't turn the football over. So that's why he's brought in guys like AJ McCarron that kind of fit that same mold. Um, you know, that well, Derek Carr's kind of that, right? Mr. Carr conservative. Carr is and, a yeah. pretty big arm. They just play him conservatively. He, he's, he's been aggressive before. He was actually, we talked about Bill Musgrave and the arrogance. He was actually the guy who fit best with Bill Musgrave, uh, a guy mm-hmm. who can stretch the field vertically on first down. And then, you know, you run it on second, then you figure out what you're doing on third. Um, 
you know, he's caught or right? you know, it doesn't have to be conservative. He just kind of has been because that's the way he's been coached since, you know, the Todd Downing debacle and then, you know, Gruden wanting your quarterback, his, his big things just don't turn it over. Uh, so, you know, and I think that if you look, um, a guy like Case Keenum or a guy like Alex Smith or, you know, somebody Matt Ryan or ideal group quarterbacks for what they brought. Interesting. Um, man, that's, that's surprising. I hadn't really considered that, but it makes more sense when you think about like the Brad Johnson years and the Jeff Christie's and everything coming through that makes sense. Um, how did they win the draft? What did they do in the first three rounds where we look back five years from now and they're like, Holy shit. Oakland, Mayock, they did it. They they created their new draft superstars. That was the draft that we all look back on of like, how did they pull this off? What what did they do? I think you need to get a plus on the defensive side of the football. You need to get a, an elite player at each level. Uh, you need to get one more elite defensive lineman, uh, whether that's Quentin Williams or Bosa or Allen, whoever's there. Um, you need to get one linebacker. Uh, you know, it just depends on who's there. And uh, I think you need to get one elite corner. And I think that they've got a decent shot at uh, a Greedy or a Byron Murphy falling to them. Um you know, one or the other, they could, they could kind of snap something like that up. I think that they can get that line, that defensive lineman first, get that corner second, get that linebacker third, and put a, you know, put a really young player at each level of that defense. Uh, and I think that they're going to be in really good shape. Okay. Do you think they do that? Do you think that's how they operate in the draft for the first three rounds? Yeah. You know, they, they, they made no secret the fact that they were going to buy an offense and build a defense. Uh, and I think that plan is, is still holding the, is still holding true. Is that how you would have approached it if you're Oakland? Um, you know, given what they have, I think that's probably a smart move, especially considering the, the strengths and weaknesses of that coaching staff. You know, John Gruden's always been a guy who uh, succeeded by bringing in veteran offensive players that, that had a savvy. They didn't have to be the most talented athletes. Uh, they just kind of had to be savvy and, you know, and, and smart. If you look at Oakland, you know, as his best years were uh, with recycled Rich Gannon and uh, and then bringing in Jerry Rice to pair with Tim Brown, uh, you know, and doing things that way. And then you go down there to, uh, you know, to Tampa and bringing in Brad Johnson and then Keyshawn Johnson and Keenan McCardell and, you know, and that whole, that whole setup. So that's always kind of been Gruden's key of success was, and was veteran savvy receivers that didn't have to be all world athletes, just guys that were kind of strong and, you know, could get you a couple yards after the catch and, um, and a quarterback it was kind of a point guard to distribute the ball and you know i think they've done well with that so i want to throw a couple quick things at you then we can wrap up here um less likely because this is something we don't think about we just pencil teams back into the playoffs into the super bowl contention window all that kind of stuff who do you think is less likely to get back to the nfc championship game next year the rams or the saints i would say the rams um the blueprint on how to stop the rams is kind of out there um, Vic Fangio and the Bears actually laid it out, and then uh, the Patriots kind of covered it in the in the Super Bowl. And if you look at the, against those two teams, uh, they really struggled. That cutback zone wasn't there, and they fooled the quarterback with that kind of you know four zero four technique on the defensive line. And they did bring all the linebackers up, you know, to the line, so it looked like you're running a fifty two uh, defense, a five two, and then uh, you know you, you drop the linebackers back into coverage or bring one off the edge. You just kind of adjust. That, that cut back zone stuff, you know, they knew how to plug that with the, you know, the linebacker one gap in there. So, you know, I think that, 
I think the blueprint is out on how to beat the Rams and, you know, Sean McVay and the quote unquote wizardry and all that kind of stuff is going to have to evolve a little bit. We'll see. Um, you know, for a guy with as great a memory as he has, you would think seeing the same looks from the Patriots as you saw for the Bears, you'd shake things up and they just didn't do it. Hmm. Yeah, I probably agree with you. I think especially with Breeze back and I, I do trust Sean Payton more with how much he's adjusted over the years. And I don't know what the blueprint is to stop Michael Thomas from getting the football. It turns out just targeting him 18 times a game is, is very worthwhile on Alvin Kamara and everything else. Um, are, well, actually, last thing on the Saints. Um, what are the chances Teddy Bridgewater is the starter in New Orleans in 2020? Um, I wouldn't say better than average. I mean, he's going to have to beat out Taysom Hill, who's you know um, making his, his case as an all-world athlete too. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I wasn't that impressed with Teddy's play when he came into that game. Um, you know, with the Saints, it's good to see him back out there, but I wasn't very impressed. Um, we'll see. I, I would say about average. Okay. Um, do you think the national media is being a little too harsh on what the New York Giants are doing this offseason? Uh, no. And I don't think they okay. were harsh enough last year. Um, I think that, you know, force feeding Saquon Barkley put those raw numbers pretty high. But, you mm-hmm. know, his per touch, his per touch stuff wasn't all that great, relatively speaking. Um, you know, he had a lot of yards from scrimmage because they kept force feeding him. And, you know, I, I think that if you're going to do that, eventually he's going to wear down. Um, you know, we saw that with Ty Gurley in year, I think it was year two, with Jeff Fisher's offense, the force feeding him. And, you know, he kind of wore down, wasn't the same. And then, you know, it took a took an injury and then getting the year off and come back, you know, or say the year, at least some of the season off. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the Giants are doing. I really don't. Um, you know, Dave Gettleman's always been a guy that, that – you know, he, he always kind of struggled to get the NFL, I think, in terms of what you needed to do. And he just has this this rigid philosophy that you go out and you, you, you build the trenches. Well, that's a nice cliche thing to say, and you do want to do that, obviously. But, um, you know, I don't know that, that overall his inflexibility in the draft uh, is, you know, his, um, he had offers on the table for number two. And he could have gotten the Saquon Barkley. Yes. Um, you know, he had offers for number two because people were coming up trying to get Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Broncos wanted to come up from five. Uh, and he just said no. And so this inflexibility, this inability to adjust and maximize the value of your assets um, really has, you know, I think hindered him. And you look at all the trading and everything, you know, what he got out of the the Beckham and Olivier Vernon deals. Basically, he got a guard and some draft picks. And, and I don't know that that's I, – I, I just don't know that that's um, that's enough value for uh, an all-world receiver like Odell Beckham. It's just like the Saquon stuff you can't get over, and like the by the time the Giants, if they ever get back there, where they get back to competing for the NFC uh, title games picture, Saquon's gonna be he might be in the Todd Gurley zone now with tendonitis in his knees, and he's just banged up, and it's just it's too late. So it was like, what was the point? Like you could have just. <sighs> Man, that's wild. Um, would the Broncos have taken Darnold if they had been able to trip too? Yes. Um, y- they, they had three players ranked as top five players uh, in the draft plan last year. They tried to get up to get one of the quarterbacks, and, and they were unable to do so. But they had Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Bradley Chubb as the only three players worth the top five pick. Uh, and so. If uh, if none of them had been there, they had a trade agreed to with Buffalo where they were going to trade back so Buffalo could get up and get Josh Allen. 
Um, hmm. And so it, when Bradley Chubb fell on their lap because they did not expect the Browns to take Ward at four, um, they wound up, you know, having Chubb fall on their lap. They canceled the trade and, and, and took Bradley Chubb instead. What do evaluators around the league think of Josh Allen right now? Uh, it's a mixed bag. You know, I talk to people who laughed at the notion of him going in the first round. I talk to people who think he could be the next Matt Stafford. Um, mm. Certainly, he's got the legs. You know, he's got the thick body. Um, he did his receivers and his offensive line didn't do him any favors last year. We saw some flashes, but we also saw a lot of. You know, I, I watched him sail a swing pass twenty yards off target. Uh, so it's you know, I, I think that. Uh, he, like Lamar Jackson, has deficiencies he needs to work on. I don't know if, you know, there's a lot of potential for both of them. I don't know if he ever gets there. Yeah. Um, if you had to rank the futures of the that big four, how would you rank them going forward? Uh, Baker, number one. Darnold, number two. Rosen, number three. Allen, number four. Jackson, number five. Okay, so you're still buying the Rosen stuff. It's so hard because he had like a 43% pressure rate last year. It was something absurd when you have Justin Pugh and Andre Smith and just the absolute yeah. dog shit that he had in front of him. It was the worst case scenario of like any rookie quarterback in a really long time. But Right. They, um, had, they had fifth and six, six stringers uh, on that line at times yeah. uh, block, and it was terrible. And then, you know, outside of Larry Fitzgerald, nothing to throw to either. Um, I You know, I don't know if he's going to get a shot in Arizona, if they're going to go to the draft. Everybody seems to be assuming that. But, um, you know, if he does, you know, I, there's some teams that would be interested. The Chargers are need a successor to Phillip Rivers. They've been, you know, sniffing around quarterbacks in the draft the last couple of years. That might be the direction to go. So, uh, and that would make a lot, you know, a lot of sense getting that Rosen back to LA as well. You know, where he's he's kind of comfortable. So, where where what scheme would or what team would you like to see Rosen get traded to the most? Well, the Chargers. I mean, you know, someplace where he can go learn a couple of years and then take over years. and okay. succeed. Yeah, and succeed a you know a guy who's who's uh, you know a veteran like Rivers. I think get get along well. He's got that personality that they they like. His you know the Chargers like a quarterback, a kind of obnoxious, brash personality, but um, you know can be a guy that that can get things done. Something tells me Josh Rosen and Philip Rivers might be a little different on the political spectrum. Well, right. I mean, they're probably polar opposites. But Phil Rivers, the guy, is, you know, for all the all the jokes everybody makes about him, he's actually a really nice guy. Uh, yeah. You know, he plays kind of the heel on, uh, you know, on the field. Does but, he? I think know, he's, he's likable. I think we all like him. Who doesn't like Phil uh, Rivers? You know, I, yeah, well, I like him, but <laughs> there's some people don't like his, you know, his attitude. They think he whines and this sort of stuff. And I, you know, I, I like just feel him, bad for him. him. Yeah, like I, I mean, had the Chargers yeah. in the Super Bowl this past year, and it. It sucked seeing what happened. Like it felt like a funeral watching what happened to the Chargers in the Pats game. It was just brutal. I hated it. I, I just like this was it. I've been waiting on this Chargers team forever, and I hated how Anthony Lynn got treated with a lot of stuff. And I just thought that that group was great, and they just made sense. And it was like it was cool to see a team with that much talent do stuff. And I man, I, I just want Philip Rivers to have some playoff success. It seems insane that Eli Manning's going to retire with two rings and Philip Rivers is going to have zero. And it's it's weird. Um, the ball yeah. bounce. I mean, Marlon McCree, and you, you probably would see it. Yeah, um, I would like to see Rosen go somewhere like Washington. I think Washington. I want to see. I want to see Washington and Jacksonville just keep throwing shit at the board with quarterback. I don't think there is like teams just get like, well, we have the guy. Well, no, maybe you don't. Like if I was the Bears, I I would consider 
okay, what quarterbacks might be available at the end of the first? I, I don't know if I've seen enough from Trubisky where, like, there's nothing wrong with just keep, unless you know you have a top 10 guy, keep taking shots. That's why I'm okay with Arizona taking Kyler Murray. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I, I would love to see Rosen in something like that. Let's, let's see a team get really weird. Um, you know, it's possible. I don't think Washington, I mean, Washington knows that, you know, this is Jay Gruden's last year unless something miraculous happens. So I don't think they're going to do really? that. They don't want to, yeah, they don't want to saddle, uh, they don't want to saddle the next coach with, um, you know, with a, a quarterback that he doesn't want. So I think they're going to roll with case and, you know, and try to continue to build the other, other areas. And, uh, ideally the next coach will kind of pick his quarterback. Well, let's just go ahead and say like, that's the best college quarterback room of all time, right? Like getting Alex Smith, Case Keenum, and uh, uh, Colt McCoy in the same quarterback room—is that not just like one of the craziest court? Like it, just thinking about those three and what they were in college. And well, don't forget Josh there. Johnson either. You know he was really good Who at San Diego State. That's what made John Harbaugh. Uh, you know, got him to stand for jobs. That's right. Um, God, what a college! I mean, and also like Alex Smith. Uh, Case Keenum and Colt McCoy and, the, and Josh seem like the most likable dudes of all time, and they play for such a terrible franchise. Um, I don't know; they all they all seem like great people. Did you read the Keenum book? Yeah, uh, matter of fact, I've got an autographed copy of it. Okay, is it worth it? It's on my Amazon uh, wish list, and I haven't decided well, if I want. It's you know, it's it is what it is. If you like books like that, <laughs> you'll like that one. That's the best way to put that. Okay, I don't know. Guys like Keenum are interesting to me. Um, all right, I think I think we're about good to wrap up here. Last thing, and then we'll go. How about this? Last thing, then we'll go. Um, I we talked about the AFC South a little bit. We talked about the NFC North a little bit. I these are the two divisions outside of the rest of the league where I still can go either way, one through four, and I don't. I think that's a rarity um, across the league. How would you rank the top four going into next year if you had to guess? We still have the draft and other stuff to go, but if you had to, where, where do you think the things are going with the top four in both divisions there? Which, which uh, you want the top four in the AFC and the top four in the NFC? AFC South and the NFC North. Oh, uh, the AFC South, I think the Colts are, you know, I think the Colts are the cream of the crop. I think they're going to be very good. Uh, they'll continue Even if Deshaun to... Watson plays like 16 games. Even if he does, um, Deshaun Watson, okay. you know, he's hit or miss. He, he got kind of exposed when Will Fuller was out. Uh, he needs a burner to stretch the field vertically in order to open up those windows because he doesn't have the biggest, uh, the biggest arm or the best velocity. In fact, he's got one of the highest interception rates in the NFL since he's come into the league. Um, but when he when he had Fuller, Fuller was so fast he just blew by guys, was wide open. Uh, plus, you got New Hopkins, who I think is probably uh, the number one or two or three receiver in the game, depending on your you know where you live. Um, so. You know, it's 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 what with Bill O'Brien there limiting that offense, their their reticence to rely on the run game and and defense starting to show some cracks. I think that uh, you know, I don't know that I would pick Houston. Jacksonville looks like a mess. They're going to regress to the mean. Um, and uh, Tennessee, you know, another offensive coordinator change. They bring in Tannehill to be the backup. I don't know that Mariota's the guy. Um, I you know, I think that's a team that could be. Not good defensively, but just it just struggles offensively, and I don't think they have the the right offense or the right personnel. Yeah, Mariota is like one of those dudes. If he wasn't selected, if you didn't know anything about his college career, you didn't know where he was drafted, you would have watched last year and been like, "Why is this dude considered a franchise quarterback?" It, there's something about it where he is a beneficiary of 
his his past and where he was drafted. I think some guys just they stand out in that way. Is is that fair? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think that you know at the time he was drafted, the Chip Kelly offense in the NFL was all the rage. Right. Um, you know, it's funny how things shift, but you know, and so there's there was a lot to that. I think that hell that that quarterback draft class looked very good. Everybody kept talking about it being great with Winston and then uh, Mariota there at the top. And you know, I, Winston, I just reminds me a lot of Jay Cutler and. You know, mm-hmm. Mariota reminded me a lot of Alex Smith, and I think that in the end, I think that's that's kind of what they became. Yeah, I just with AFC South, I'm right there with you, the Titans and the Jags, but I do think the Texans, if they're all healthy, I wish they had signed Le'Veon Bell. That's where I wanted him to go because if you well, just doubled down in that offense, he would have been perfect. Well, but they would have never used him. They don't use. They got Lamar Miller. They don't use him. Um, I know. So, that's the thing. So is like they have this. They should use these guys. They should be playing. I, Bill O'Brien, what what are you doing, my guy? Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. And then the NFC North. I, I love what the Lions are doing. I'm talking myself into them like an idiot, but um, I, I don't know. I could see the NFC North going any which away. Like, because it, it's just, I could see the Vikings bouncing back. I could see them falling off even worse. I could see the Packers going through some weird stuff. Like, I, I haven't decided on where any of those four teams are going to end up next year. Yeah, I think that you're going to see a regression from the Packers. I don't like what they're doing. I, I think they get the wrong, the wrong guy, and you know Lafleur is you know another McVay guy. Mm. You know, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think the Packers are going to regress, though. I think Aaron Rodgers is getting older, and that's not going to help. Um, you know, I, I think the Vikings going to bounce back a little bit. Um, you know, I think you'll see Mike Zimmer's a good coach, and I think you'll see them bounce back. I the Lions, uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot of talk around the league. They're looking to make a change at quarterback. Um, you could see something that you know maybe they draft a guy and run out the clock on Stafford's contract. Um, you know, I don't know. Would he um, have any value but, on the trade market? Would any team? Oh yeah, I, Broncos would be tripping over themselves to get to him. Really? Um, oh okay. yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, there's. Uh, we'll, we'll see. The problem is the dead cap hit is astronomical. So, um, you know, I don't know how realistic that is, but there's, there's talk about that. Uh, yeah, wow. I, I think the Vikings about that bounce back and then the Trubisky, it really just, you know, how well he, um, how well he grows. Cause if he's not the guy, then, um, you know, they'll be back to the drawing board. That defense, you know, like I said, it, you can sustain defensive excellence for a couple of years, three, four year windows, but, uh, and they've been good for, you know, for two or three. So, uh, lost you know, Fangio. they have John, I mean, right. we'll see what Pagano does, but he's an easy, easily likable dude, but I don't know. Fangio is just, he's a mastermind and going from him to Pagano who was out of the league for a year. I just, it's, I could see it going on really badly for the bears really quickly. Yeah, it's it's a possibility. So I think Minnesota's probably going to have a bounce back and be the team to beat. The Minnesota stuff just sucks because it was an uncomfortable thing to talk about with Tony Sperano. Like that, just how important he was to that out of line and just all the, the circumstances surrounding all that just sucks. And you just kind of wonder how much of a factor that played into a lot of stuff there. But um, I don't know. The Vikings, we'll, we'll see. Um, they're great fans. Shot Derek Thompson and everybody else, but I, I like it when they're good. But it, it should be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Um, ben, this has been great. I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time tonight. Um, we can find you on Twitter at AlbrightNFL. Um, is there anything you would like to plug before we get out of here? No, I think we're good. All right, man. I really do appreciate it. This was great. Oh, no problem. Take care. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, 
or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.